0: Welcome back to Conversations with Ipswich School, the podcast where we bring together the community to explore more about life inside the school from the point of view of pupils, staff and parents. In each episode, we'll be in conversation with members of the school community to delve deeper into life at Ipswich School. So let's get into this episode right now of Conversations with Ipswich School.
1: So hello and welcome to Conversations with Ipswich School. Today's guests are Eva and Charlotte who are going to talk to us about their lecture on beauty and morality. And regular listeners may well remember Eva telling us all about Consciousness Club a few episodes back. Just a short note of warning, we are next to a drum lesson. So you may hear the odd drum melody going on, but just bear with us. So hello, welcome back Eva and welcome Charlotte. Hi. Hi. We're going to get stuck in straight away. Are there any links between beauty and morality? Charlotte? Well,
0: definitely. That's what our lecture was all about. Um, We kind of begun with the typical links in children's films. So because morality in children's films is often very clear, there's a clear good character and a clear bad character, it was very evident that the good characters were often the attractive ones. Mm. And so, for example, The Little Mermaid, Ariel versus Ursula. Um, And then, of course, for children, that can get very confusing because good becomes associated with attractive. And so kind of these features of conventional attraction can then translate to everyday
2: life. So it starts at a really young age, does it, Eva? It does, I think, yeah. And it's that worrying um, comparison and connection between morality and not only attraction, but being skinny, being a lot of the time white you know it's also damaging in terms of race but it starts very young yeah and then even continues so we also looked at films like the batman trilogy and how obviously the joker in that is disfigured um and characters like bane are disfigured while batman and and in lots of superhero movies which are obviously very popular nowadays the heroes are always very conventionally attractive whether those be the female heroes or the male heroes and the villains often not so much so we looked at that and films like nanny mcphee where even within one character as um the children begin to like her she loses the uneven tooth loses warts it's yeah it starts really young and when you start looking for it it's one of those things that you can't then
1: unsee so is it a vicious circle? Is this ever the way? Is this reinforcing the stereotypes?
0: Yeah, I would, I would say so because even, for example, a character like um, Dolores Umbridge mm-hmm. in Harry Potter, her, well, her attraction through her femininity is increased as the film develops. As she gets more evil, she gets more feminine, and so these kind of features of attraction become very closely intertwined with femininity, which therefore demonises femininity
1: and demonises women. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, OK. And Eva, do you see that playing out more widely in the media outside of film?
2: Definitely, yeah. Um, I mean, it started rooted within within film in that male evil was often presented through disfigurement and scarring and ugliness, whereas, as Charlotte was saying, feminine evil was hyper femininity and, and Umbridge's clothes becoming more vibrantly pink and characters, again, going back to children, children's films like Sharpay in High School Musical, her evil was through her hyper and how that was demonised. But I think in the, in the wider media and in wider life, yeah, I think that that definitely continues We also looked looked into Taylor Swift um, and how so-called fangirl culture is so demonised and it was interesting to look at Taylor Swift's last two albums, well last two then, um, and the marketing campaigns were very different. So her album Lover was very much um, pinks and pastel colours and well about love and, and a big comment on her role as a woman really. It was Branded as a very feminine album, the, the branding was yeah, very feminine, sort of hyper-feminine almost. And it was one of her lowest critically acclaimed albums. Bearing in mind, many critics are males, even though the album among her fans was really, really highly reviewed. Um, and then in comparison to her following album Folklore, which the branding for that was very, it was black and white. It was a forest setting. It was very androgynous almost, Her pr- the presentation of herself in that album. And that is her most highly reviewed and highly acclaimed album. Again, very popular with fans, but it was just interesting of the lens of how the album is promoted affects its reception so much in the eyes of a very widely male critical circle.
1: That's fascinating. So it's not only that we're seeing these characters portrayed in the media, but we're seeing how subliminally that affects our appreciation of them and the lens through which they're seen. Yeah, definitely. Wow. Okay. So Laura Bates came in and talked to Sixth Form a year ago, and she was talking about everyday sexism and about language in the media. Do you see any connections in the media between what she was saying and what you were exploring?
0: Definitely. Yeah. I think there's... With every woman in the public eye, there's always this background of penalising their attraction. For example, her example of politicians, when you would compare someone like Boris Johnson, who is often not very well put together, Mm -hmm. um, in comparison to someone like Theresa May, who is often scrutinised for the tiniest choices in her appearance... So, yeah, there's definitely a link there. And bringing it back to more kind of the pop world, um, someone like Ed Sheeran is often thought as as kind of a, a role model because he's so normal, because he's a normal guy who sings and he's amazing at that, but he doesn't have to be this kind of pop icon, whereas there's not really a character like that for women. It's always about their image and can they reinvent themselves. And
1: so, yeah. Yeah, it's... I'm thinking back to what you said about what once you once you explain it, it's difficult to unsee it, actually. Mm. So is there a way forward? What's to be done about this?
2: Well, it's, it's a difficult one because it's something that exists in so many spheres and yet is so hard to detect because there's a concept that we looked at as well called the beauty status exchange. When thinking about that whole concept of there are no unattractive people in Hollywood, but how this is, as Charlotte was mentioning with Ed Sheeran, this is more exceptionally... Um evident in terms of women, but there was an experiment done, a study done by a sociologist Elizabeth McClintock of a study of I think two thousand couples um of varying statuses, varying classes and the beauty status exchange is basically the idea that within a couple within a relationship or just within any pairing, there is a figure who brings the money and the status and a figure who brings the beauty and due to the patriarchal structure of Uh, society this is often the man with the status and the money and the woman brings the beauty but this study that McClintock did essentially yeah so the study that McClintock did essentially debunked this theory and said that within relationships this doesn't really exist but it was more within professional spheres within spheres of the media all the directors I think was it 90 percent of directors are men or were In the year of that study which was 2019 and so while this maybe doesn't exist in real life it exists still so much in the professional sphere and so that was what we looked at as well because it's it's one of those things of people look around them and think well all the relationships that I am in contact with the couples that I know there is not this demonization of attraction or utilization of it but yet when you look into the positions of uh, money and status is still very much within existence.
0: Yeah. Do you agree, Charlotte? Yeah, definitely. So another example, we looked at this new phenomenon kind of moving on from the glass ceiling, which is the glass cliff. So women are only put in positions of power when those positions of power are are particularly vulnerable. Mm. So before the... 2007-2008 financial crisis in 2016 when it had been predicted there was an unnatural rise in female CEOs in the financial sector so it's almost as if they're put in as kind of a scapegoat so then once the crisis is Resolved, you can blame the crisis on the woman, and then a man can return, and then it's back to the status quo, back
1: to a nice, safe man. But that must be subliminal, mustn't it? That must just be playing out. It must be the subconscious, do you think? Yeah, no, you would hope so. You would hope so.
0: I mean, the same can be said for Theresa May and Boris Johnson. True. How she was brought in in kind of a polarized time. Yeah.
1: Okay. Wow. Absolutely fascinating. So I'm going to ask you now, both, just about the experience of researching and giving the lecture. Um, and I was speaking to your English teacher, Miss Carter, who's the head of English. <laughs> and she tells me that your approach to learning epitomises the school 8th level student. She says you have a hunger for knowledge and intellectual stretch. And she says she saw a lot of this actually happening in class through some really rigorous and intense academic debates. So I'm going to say, what were the tensions? Did you challenge each other? Did you bounce ideas off each other? You might be disappointed to hear there wasn't really any tension <laughs> I am. Um, it
2: wasn't a tense a tense thing it worked really well because we essentially researched different ideas and different things that we were going to say so we split giving the lecture sort of 50 50 but integrated so it wasn't oh i'll do the first half you do the second half it all mixed together and somehow obviously i the things we were researching were all within the same general idea, but everything worked together really well. So we were able to link everything together. And yeah, so it was just a matter really of we researched different things. And I think that probably helped if we researched what we were going to say. It wasn't, oh, I found this really good bit of information, but you have to say it because that fits in more with what you were saying. So it was, it was a very nice research process. We did it. We started over the summer just... Getting the first bits down and then, so our lecture was in October. Yeah. Um, and then in the few
1: weeks before it just cracked down a bit. So did you start with a kind of a broad canvas and narrow it down? I mean, it sounds incredibly organised. It, was it always that organised?
0: I think to start with, we just almost started with kind of mind maps and whiteboards scribbling out. And then we kind of narrowed down to some few key examples and kind of key concepts and then the research kind of just took us everywhere so it definitely wasn't organized to start with but it whittled down quite nicely because I think it's one of those topics that's endless you know today we still send each other web links of we could have talked about this in our lecture <laughs> so we could probably do five of them on the same thing but yeah I think we just kept discussing and picking out the best bits and the most relevant bits and yeah, yeah it worked
1: really well okay if you were to revisit it that's a really good point if you were to go back now a year later ish, nearly a year later, is there anything you'd change? Would you you have changed tack? Would you have introduced things or taken things out?
2: I don't think it would be a case of taking things out. I think it is, as Charlotte was saying, such an endless topic Mm. of it would be hard to take anything out because I feel like we covered a good basis of things. And we, the examples that we used were to demonstrate how widespread this demonization of hyperfemininity is and so the the examples that we used were things that everyone would know whereas i think now because we have looked further into the topic and it is one of those things that everything you see you think oh i could link that i could link that to the lecture so i would worry that if we did it now it would it would go on for hours (laughs) There would be such niche examples that we would give and people would perhaps be less interested. It would, yeah. it would just be us. They'd be gradually the filtering yeah.
1: out of the uh, yeah. So it, the it was hall. probably
2: good that we did it <laughs> when we did, and that we weren't given the time to go down such rabbit holes that we have gone down now.
1: I, I mean, I, I think the idea of, the, of using these really popular films and media is 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 genius because it's things that people can immediately relate to but you've made us think of them differently. You've made them see us through a different lens. Yes, so yes, I'm glad you didn't go down the (laughs) (laughs) the super niche niche route. What advice would you give to anyone thinking about putting themselves forward for a lecture?
0: Well, first of all, I'd say definitely do it. Definitely do it, good. Such a rewarding, the feeling afterwards, a massive sigh of relief was the most rewarding thing ever. And it's kind of one of those things that we could do it a million times over. But I would say to not... Pin yourself down too much from the get-go. Let the research take you where it takes you. Because, for example, our title we only really decided on when we were creating Mm -hmm. our poster. And our beginning introduction has really shifted, I think. I mean, in the best ways because it's interesting to us. And I think that's really important as well, making sure it's something that you could blab on about for hours. Because then it is one of those things which... You can think about an everyday life, and it's such a nice—I don't know—it's such a nice
1: source of knowledge. I guess. Yeah. So you like the knowledge you—you really appreciate the knowledge you've gained from it because the passion was there to begin with. Definitely. Fantastic. Okay. Great. And so you—you you did a lot of work over the summer. Is it a lot of work?
2: It is quite a lot of work. Okay. But we spread it out well, I think. We yeah, we got the the basics down in the summer, which was a couple of months before we started. I think also we had a really good base in the lecture programme. We were second. Yeah. So we sussed out sort of the the done thing from the first one we watched. And like then thinking. and then we did ours and then we got to watch all the others without thinking, oh gosh, this is gonna be us in a few weeks. <laughs> um, but it is a lot of work. But again, I think that's I definitely agree with Charlotte of letting the research evolve. Because if you think if you pin yourself down loads and and think, no, no, I can't go down that road because I've, I've said it's on this. And I, I came up with the pre ideas of this. And so I have to stick with, with these ideas. And we had a lot of philosophers in our initial ideas who then, when we actually researched them, did not really not didn't fit with our ideas, but we then realized that would be too wide and we'd be going down so many different pathways. And, and I think it's that don't, confine yourself to your original ideas because as you research things your your own ideas will evolve and your own arguments will change and the thing the message that you want to convey will also change but yeah it was it's not a light workload but at the same time it was it was nothing I don't think we ever reached a state of panic it was always quite calm and and it's nice to do it with someone else yeah um, okay It's I would definitely recommend doing it in a pair
1: definitely Um, recommend not only to share
2: the workload but also you can then have someone to talk about the topic that obviously interests you a lot and as we say we still send each other tiktoks and things about About the topic topic. (laughs) which is nice
1: (laughs) that's brilliant so but that's really good insight there so you're saying you know start expansive, start mind map start with Broad ideas, but actually, Eva, you were quite ruthless about if it didn't fit, you it it went. Yeah, I mean, we had we
2: had lots of we created a Google Doc when we first were coming up with the topic, and just put loads of things into it. And if we had elaborated on every single one of those, then the lecture would have had no. Yeah. Well, either no substance or too much substance. Mm. But but yeah, I think it's it will go where it goes. As cliche yeah, as that sounds, yeah. but but don't feel that just because. You've said that you're going to do Kantian aesthetics.
1: You then have to do that <laughs> to the very bitter end. Okay, okay. So, yeah, so, so keep, keep keeping it interesting and keeping it where you want it to go, but be flexible. Good, thank you. Right, we're going to finish now, but I have to... We always finish with a silly trivia question. So what is, for both of you, what's the best part of the school week? I would say this is
0: only... I think it's only week B or only week A, so it's fortnight. Okay, best part of the school fortnight. But we have a triple English lesson and that's probably my favourite <laughs> because, I know, it's just always, it's always just so fun and we have double,
1: double Hamlet over break. No. Double Hamlet over um, break. That's the highlight so, yeah, of that's the week. Probably, okay. that's probably the highlight of my week. <laughs> you are the pitome of the A-level student. <laughs> well, either. We've either that triple English
2: lesson, we also have another double English on a Wednesday afternoon and that is, I don't know why, but that lesson, we all always look forward to it. It's always just a, a good time in that Wednesday period seven and eight. But if I Apart from our fortnightly triple English,
1: I would probably say Chapel Choir.
2: Thursday chapel Thursday Choir. evenings in the chapel. Yeah, again,
1: always a good time. And is it the rehearsals or is it the fact that you go everywhere with the Chapel Choir? You, we, you go to cathedrals? Mean, yeah,
2: I mean, Thursday evenings is the rehearsals. And I think those are, the tours are great, don't get me wrong. But I think just the weekly rehearsals are some of, some of the best times with Chapel Choir. Lots of
1: laughs, lots of choral music. Yeah, love a bit. Brilliant. That's brilliant. Thank you both so much. Thank you and goodbye. Thank Thank you. you.
0: That's it for this episode of Conversations with Ipswich School. And thank you for listening. To find out more, check out the school website, ipswich.school. Now, the next episode is coming out soon. But in the meantime, thank you for listening to this one. Don't forget to follow or subscribe so you can stay in touch. And we look forward to seeing you next time. Bye for now.